Angus Young, how you doing? Good, Becca. The Offspring. How's it going, Becca? Dave Grohl, how you going, mate? Good, man. Pete, it's been a long time coming. Oh, Becca, hasn't it indeed? We go inside the dressing room, speak to the biggest names in music. Keith Richards, the Rolling Stones. And crack open their esky. This is exactly how I imagined you, by the way, sitting opposite me with a vodka and orange. You're a discerning chap. This is the rider. Hey, it's Becca. Welcome back to the rider. Last week it was Vance Joy. He was about to go on the road. He's still sunning himself in Barcelona, but he'll be back over here soon. He's got the, the brand new album out as well. And we tackled the question, could Vance Joy be about to go through his asshole phase? Well, obviously not, but he does answer that question right now. You can check it out on all platforms, including Spotify and YouTube. But this week we are looking back and celebrating the life of Taylor Hawkins. This week, the final celebration, the Taylor Hawkins tribute concert happening in Los Angeles at the Forum. We saw what happened at Wembley just a couple of weeks ago. They're rehearsing as we speak, and I guess the question is, is this going to be it for the Foo Fighters? I mean, it's the ultimate tribute. So many guests coming on stage, including Taylor Hawkins' son, who was on the drums for My Hero. Uh, We're expecting people like Phil Collin and Stuart Copeland, uh, Travis Barker, and uh, a whole lot more. So that's going to be happening uh, this week in Los Angeles. Uh, one incredible chat with Taylor Hawkins before he passed away was this one, where he was opening up about his love of drumming and his love of certain drummers. One of my heroes when I was a kid was Roger Taylor from Queen. And I always thought it was cool because he always sang a song on the record. He had the highest voice kind yeah. of in the band. And he just, you know, had a big drum set. I said, uh, he's cool, I want to be like him. So yeah. and he, made, he made records, he sang, he did all that. So. But what about... Dave, when he was, you know, oh, and behind I, a drum, oh, he, he wasn't your hero. I mean, you he guys. was. No, he was. I mean, they got to remember that was such a great time. Rock and roll drumming, where it's yeah. really. I mean, there's still great stuff now, but like it was like in the top ten, and so you could hear Jimmy Chamberlain from Smashing Pumpkins, you could hear Matt Cameron from Soundgarden, you could hear Dave Grohl from Nirvana, like in the same top five, like at one time. That's amazing. So there were so many good guys. He was definitely. It was a good time for drummer. Greatest sure. drummer of all time. Dave Grohl, of course. Greatest drummer of all time. (laughs) Taylor (laughs) Hawkins. Brian May, Roger Taylor, and of course Dave Grohl and the rest are going to be there this week uh, at the Forum in LA. I wish I was there. Now, this week on The Rider, Frankie from the Darkness. I like that line. I've never heard that line before. I've heard cock rock being referenced. I've never heard one of the best cock rock bands. <laughs> I think that should, that should be the header, you know? I almost feel like that could be the first line of our next press release. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can compare this with kind of Kiss and Motley Crue, really. It's a different kind of thing that we do. But there is a flavouring of that kind of music that we sometimes have. You know, cock rock really is a very West Coast American thing, you know? The Darkness are about to embark on their Aussie tour and it's a real big deal for them crossing the seas for another Aussie tour and we know they love Australia. It's been featured many times uh, in their video clips. It is the Motor Heart Aussie tour kicking off October 11 in Melbourne and of course uh, the Canberra show October 18 at the ANU Canberra. I mean, we know the songs. The brand new album, Motor Hearts. This is Frankie Pallant from The Darkness. He is zooming in right now as we speak. There he is. Frankie, how are you? 
Not bad at all, thanks. Not bad. Is it weird thinking you're going to be hopping on a plane soon and flying 24 hours to Australia? It's good weird. That's why I like I love being in a band because there's just weird wherever you wherever you look, you know. There's good weird and bad weird, but flying to Australia is there's a little bit of bad with the long flight and all that stuff, but it's a great deal to make, you know. It's it's well worth it, always. Well, especially you know, it's very hard to whinge after you know two or so years of doing nothing, you know, and, and complaining about not being able to perform and you know record or whatever. It's uh, it's very hard to whinge about that. I think most people are whinged out, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. How'd you go? How'd you cope with all that downtime? I know you had you put the album out, obviously. You must have been tearing your hair out. Yeah, I'm still doing it. I've still got a nervous twitch, as you can see. I'm still <laughs> yes. doing it. It's funny, isn't it? The things you do physically, they always give telltale signs, don't they, as to your mental state. But I would say that I coped by, the same as most people, by going down multiple rabbit holes, just getting obsessed with certain things, certain people. For some reason, I got really into painters, um, well, I, I kind of know the reason, I think. My grandparents are both painters, and um, I just got really obsessed with people like Lucien Freud and Francis Bacon, <clears throat> and then I got really into Italian cinema. I didn't realize on Amazon. I know it's fashionable to slag off Amazon, but uh, they have an incredible selection of Italian cinema, 60s, 70s, 80s, so I got really into that, you know. So I guess escapism, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of people actually left the city. I know, I know you did. You left London and, and you're up near sort of somewhere near Glastonbury. Is that, is that where you moved to? That's right, Somerset. I was in Somerset, the gentle countryside of Somerset. And the good it thing, was, if, you know, it's nice to leave the city. London would have been pretty scary, I think, for a little while, I can imagine. Yeah, London, you've got that collective anxiety. You know, you can't escape from it. But it was nice, you know, um, living in the countryside, uh, I enjoyed it. It gave a spring clean to my... Um, lungs, which had obviously suffered from living amidst all the pollution for 25 years in London. So I feel like that two-year spring clean was good. And now I'm back in London, but kind of on the outskirts, a place called Richmond, where it's a lot greener. There's a lot of parks here, and I'm encircled by the Thames. And I can even swim in this part of the Thames quite close to where I am. Wow. Uh, they have a, yeah, they have a swimming club. And also, uh, they're going to clean it up over the next few years. So that's great because to me, if I get a swim in, like an outdoor swim, um, then it just changes the day. It makes the day, it, it gives me perspective. It makes me, you know, like I don't whinge so much, you know. <laughs> Look at you. You used to be all rock and roll. Now you're talking about going out for your daily swim and it used to be all about getting over the hangover, you know. <laughs> well, you know something, the feeling after like a cold water swim isn't that dissimilar to walking off stage. So really it's a substitute. You know, it's for those times when I'm not on the road and I need to get that buzz, you know, because sometimes it's quite, I'm certainly not expecting sympathy because I have the best job in the world. Being on tour is the best job in the world because you get, who else gets all that feedback from your day's work, you know, people applauding you, you get really spoiled, you know. But when you're not doing that, it can be a bit lonely and isolating. And the other great part of being in the band is writing time. And that's what we're heading into now. We're going to, head into writing time after Australia and we're going to work on the follow-up to Motorhark. And this time we're all going to be in the same room as each other. That, that makes a big difference. I mean, it's it was it must have been extremely challenging doing things separately. I mean, it would have had its advantages, I'm sure, as well. But uh, you, you can't be properly creative uh, without the energy around you, without bouncing things off people. And it um, must have been a challenge. 
Yeah, sometimes, you know, there's good and bad sides to it. You know, mm. Justin, I think, enjoyed uh, <laughs> being kind of unmolested by the rest of us and yeah. able to be pure in his vision, perhaps. But at the same time, I think there is something to be said for four people tapping into the good parts of themselves and then all of you creating this, um, you know, all of you really bringing out the good or soulful part of yourself and creating something greater than all of you, you know. I, I forgot about this, in fact, until I was reminded, you know, a few hours ago, but yet the other album before um, Motor Heart was Easter is cancelled and then... At the time, didn't think much of it, I guess, but then COVID happened and you were like, oh. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what happened? Um, one day, the newspaper, The Sun, that's owned by Murdoch, you know, you remember Murdoch, obviously. Yes. Um, the highest um, selling newspaper in the UK. And one day the headline was, Easter is cancelled, <laughs> because Easter was cancelled. Yeah. And that, that was like a year and a half after our album came out. So, yeah, there was, uh, the fact is we didn't know why we called it Easter is cancelled. It was something our manager said in an email exchange and then Justin and I leapt on it and said, hey, wait a minute, that feels like it means something. We didn't know why, but it just feels like, what does it mean? And then Justin <laughs> sent back uh, this illustration of um, Jesus snapping the cross and, uh, and then we all laughed and thought, okay, yeah, we, we have to do this you know? Because it was a bit, it had a bit of Monty Python as well. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was actually it was a kind of a, as many people described it, a silly album. Um, and but you, you guys have always had that sense of humour with a lot of things you've done over the years, so it feels appropriate. Yeah, probably actually also our most thoughtful album. This the parts, it's definitely got the most ballads on it. It's probably the most um, uh, thoughtful and considered kind of album, you know. Whereas um, Motorhead was much more instinctive and off the cuff which is cool because you get just silly things like nobody can see me cry, just silly things like that that are kind of tossed off but are, are really kind of exciting and spontaneous. Let's go back to when you guys first started and what made you go to become one of the great cock rock bands of all time? I like that line. I've never heard that line before. I've heard cock rock being referenced, but I've never heard one of the best cock rock bands of all time. <laughs> I think that should, that should be the header, you know? Yeah. That's got to be like somewhere. I almost feel like that could be the first line of our next press release. <laughs> <laughs> you can use that. Please do. That'd be great. That's a small element to what we do, really, you know, because we're not really, um, I don't think you can compare us with kind of Kiss and Motley Crue, really. It's a different kind of thing that we do. But there is a flavouring of that kind of music that we sometimes have. But we're not, you know, Cock Rock really is a very West Coast American thing, you know. Yeah. And... But, but 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 then again, these little term, these bits of terminology mean different things in different countries, don't they? Because you know, obviously, you're talking from Australian, so maybe it does make sense in the in Australian context. And also, it reminds me of that thing um, where glam rock is a different thing in um, in the states than it is in the UK. Glam rock in the UK is uh, sweet and uh, T-Rex, whereas in the States, it's as you know, it's like Motley Crue and everything. And, that's a- and, and Australia is sort of famous for its pub rock too, so you've got that difference there as well. We don't really have that genre here at all. Oh, Australian pub rock is without doubt the best in the world. So what were you listening to sort of, um, you know, I guess in the, the late 80s, were you, were you listening to any in excess or, or even Midnight Oil or anything like that? Yeah, I like some of that stuff. In the 80s, I was a moody teenager, so I was... Um, more listening to 
kind of alternative stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was in all that rubbish, kind of indie stuff, you know. But when looking back, it was an incredible generation, you know, The Cure and The Smiths and New Order and Echo and the Bunnymen. It was an incredible uh, generation of bands and uh, so much talent. I mean, the, those four bands are so, so influential. Uh, they create like a lineage and changed music. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then again, there's only so much whining you can take really after a while. I, I would say the band, uh, those four that actually have really gone, I know it's, most people would say the Smiths because they're very literary and, and, and almost academic, but I think the Cure actually are actually the great band of, of the, eight, of the great alternative band of the, of the 80s. Because they're, they're one, they're the most original. Nobody sounded like Robert Smith. Two, I think the songs um, don't need to be clever. They're just, they can be played in, in any genre. They're, they're actually classic songs. And also the number of classic songs that Robert Smith wrote is actually uh, pretty astonishing. And the fact that they actually managed to release some really good music in the 90s as well, you know, that, that, that's really hard to progress from. 80s alternative into the 90s and not many got away with that yeah they did and also the stuff is really simple mm. and the genius of, of managing to write something incredibly simple that's also really original very few people can do that going back to Aussie rock I mean Nick Cave might have had an influence on you as well yeah Nick Cave um, is incredible I mean I'm sure a lot of people have gone to Nick Cave during lockdown and he really is uh, the voice of reason now you know it's almost like <laughs> For the alternative community, he's almost like the voice of God now. He's almost replaced that, you know, for a lot of people. Yeah. But he does speak with a lot of authority and he's really matured um, in a, a very impressive way. And um, it's, I just think it's great that he celebrates um, this positivity now and reaching out and love, reaching in. And he, he's um, grown out of all of that cynicism, which is one of the hardest things to do. It's almost... He's made it very clear and educated a lot of people that cynicism really is a crutch and it shouldn't be like that. It's okay to flavor things with a bit of cynicism and a sense humor, but it's a toxic thing, you know, mm. just to be cynical all the time, you know. That's, and uh, he's taught people that. So I think that's a great thing that he's done. Yeah, it's so true because it was kind of his trademark in a way, was that. Um, and, and through the pandemic, these letters, these replies that he would do to fans and to kids. Um, it did. It did bring out some amazing positivity, and 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 a side of Nick Cave we didn't necessarily know. Yeah, he's really um just embodies the the idea of catharsis, and you know? he really does embody it. You know, it's, it's impressive. It's easy to um yeah. I mean, the way he's developed, really, he's just done the whole journey, hasn't he? Yeah. You have to, you, you cannot respect that. And even putting out a you know a few pop songs with Kylie Minogue, uh, you know, in the nineties, who would have thought? <laughs> Yeah. So, so you're about to come to back to Australia. Um, is there anything you know on the checklist you like to do? Are there any bookshops you like to go to, or music stores, or uh, I mean, when when Americans come, they always want to go surfing. But I'm, I'm assuming you're not a surfer. I could be wrong. You can tell from my physique. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's I right. have a, we have surfed a little bit. If you watch the video to all the pretty girls, you can see um, Dan playing his guitar on the surfboard. <laughs> I have to go back <laughs> and see them. A uh, guy that looks very similar to Dan. We actually surfed in Cornwall and uh, myself and Justin were both up in the boards and everything. And I've surfed a bit in Ecuador as well. But obviously I'm not like a, I'm not going to pretend that I'm any good at it. You know, I can stay up on the board. By Australian standards, I, I'm a pretty average surfer. But I would like to swim. 
uh, whenever I can, especially in Adelaide with the crystal clear waters. Mm. And I'd like to obviously go to Cherry Barn and Melbourne and maybe Frankie's in Sydney and see if there's any good rock and roll bars still around, you know, because I know it's tough times now in Australia. Everyone's cracking down, which I'm really... Uh, Saturday. Cherry Bar in Melbourne is is definitely you know iconic and and it's got the uh, as you said the, the lineage from um, uh, ACDC in a way you know with uh, the young family involved in Cherry but but Frankie's is is just an incredible bar as well and I got some sad news Frankie's is closing. Jesus. Yeah. Why? What's the excuse they've given? Well, th- th- this is actually a fair one. They're actually building. A subway <laughs> and Frankie's unfortunately is in the spot where the subway station is popping out and the thing is when you rebuild places like for example the colony rooms in London these iconic places you can't redo them you know mm. because because there's something about the place there's a reason why people went to those places in the first place and uh, and you can't r- rationally when you try and do it you just can't recreate it you know it's it's almost never the same, but I really hope that they manage to. Are they planning to do a new one? Yeah, I think they're trying to move somewhere. And you're right; it, it's never quite the same. But I think Frankie's might be the one place where they can they can try and recreate it somewhere. But there aren't many great rock bars in Sydney. Jesus, unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, there's a lot of there's a generation of really great kind of punky bands coming through, isn't there? You know, in their early twenties and everything. And I'm pretty sure that they're going to kind of, uh, with those bands, there's going to um, come kind of places, bars, locations where these people hang out. You know? I mean, they're out already, you know, but hopefully they'll get bigger and they'll become iconic, you know, yeah. and the whole circle start again. Yeah? Well, Frankie's is one of the, the great bars where it didn't matter what day it was, you, you could just go down there and you make friends and you'd see a band. And, and I mean, live karaoke is one of the best things they did. They had the Frankie's house band with the lyrics, and they would do live karaoke. I mean, that's such one of the coolest things ever. How much longer has it got? Not long. I think only a few months. So so you're going to make it. You're going to make it for one final drink, for sure. We'll be singing back to the cherry bar. Unbelievable. Um, but I look forward to I love the little cosy little bar downstairs. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that. Whether you've been to the little, you know, the, the corner bar around the back, you know, downstairs. There's something kind of, kind of cool about that little secret bar. I that love it. There. Yeah, it's a lovely little snug little place, you know. I feel like I'm in a Scorsese film when I'm in there, you know. I've got to ask you, what's a new rider? Because, I mean, some bands have been extravagant in certain years and they reel it back because they realise that um, you actually are paying for the rider. It's not uh, someone else, you know. So what are you having it these days? You have to be careful with how you describe things uh, because uh, you can ask for um, uh, for the word good doesn't mean anything because whoever's buying the shopping will just think good good to them is different to what's good to you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have to say, like, four perfect avocados, ripe, you know, four perfect ripe avocados, because what really frustrates you is you just get, like, brick-hard bits of fruit and and avocados that you just can't eat, you know? Yeah. And you can't even bite them, have a little dressing room bite with them because, because they're too hard. They knock someone out, you know? So, uh, and then, I guess we go for quality now rather than quantity. So we get one bottle of Chateauneuf de Pâques, French wine. Mm. We do that when it's kind of autumn and winter. You don't need one that in the heat of the summer. So then we might switch to like a nice white wine in the summer because it's only really me and Dan that drink the white wine, uh, um, that drink wine. There's obviously beers, almonds, 
but like stuff, food that gives you energy, you know, that you need, you know, superfoods. I know that doesn't sound rock and roll, but <laughs> you need that fuel, especially when you're in Australia, you get really, uh, you're catching up in your jet lag. So you, you need that stuff. You need bananas, blueberries, almonds, and kombucha. Justin uh, gets obsessed with things. He's very, um, I wouldn't say OCD, but he, he, he kind of fixates on certain things in different periods of time. And at the moment, he's going through a kombucha phase and he can down three bottles just like that, you know. And then he just uh, has his manic energy and takes it out on the um, crowd. <laughs> and, and one thing I've, I didn't, Realize until someone recently told me as well is you got to be careful, you know, not to have too many garlicky things in you or onion in your rider because um, if you're doing meet and greets with people, you're going to stink like garlic. Yeah, well, we used to have, we had this, uh, we got really obsessed with garlic once and we passed and we had this um, tour manager who would bring a huge pan, um, Zoe, she was called, she would bring a huge pan, four plates, four knives and forks, and she would promise us that no matter what venue we were playing, she could find all she needed was a a kitchen and one stove, one gas, one gas hob, and she could make us spaghetti al oglio, you know, which is just the garlic and the olive oil with yes. a bit of parmesan on top. Yep. And she would do it with butter, butter, garlic, and we had it, and we would look forward to it because it's really Moorish that. And after, after a show, you come off stage and you're starving because we don't eat three hours, four hours before a show. So we've got more energy. Um, and we would just be craving it and we got hooked on it and, but then we would have like guests and I remember we would have um, guests would come in and, and th- th- they'd be like Jesus and after some of us had used the bathroom as well the combination of that and the garlic um, we started to see people squirming a little bit when they came in so we, would, <laughs> we said uh, we got to stop this because the thing about that is I mean, you don't notice if you're eating it all the time you, um, you don't notice so we're all just um, indulging each other's uh, horrific garlic breath <laughs> yeah, that's the thing no one's going to tell you I went to a music yeah. festival recently where I was watching what the bands were up to when they were coming off stage and some bands sort of went off separately and, and other bands had a debrief and sat down together and had a meal and, and we're in the middle of the desert like right in the outback where they film Mad Max to give you an idea and people were coming off stage having a meal together as a band and they were eating like lamb ragu and it was one of the most random thing ever, but it was just the, the catering was so good. You would have been impressed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, with us, it, it can vary, you know, it really can vary. In France, they really look after you nicely, yeah. But when you're on tour there, you know, um, backstage food and everything. It's nice. Some some venues actually cook you like a hot meal, um, soup, and stuff like soup is great. You know? When it's homemade and it's made in the venue, yeah, I've heard Germany's good for that, where they, they sort of feed you along the way, particularly when you're a, a band like doing tour bus life. Um, I guess it is all about getting fed properly before you jump on the tour bus and travel to the next country. Yeah, the Germans are very conscientious. Well, look, I hope we treat you properly over here because you've got a whole bunch of uh, concert dates coming up in October. Um, you're starting in Melbourne and then going through to Canberra. I, I've got to mention Canberra. You're going to love Canberra. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Yeah. Well, appreciate you talking to you. Frankie, it was good to meet you, and uh, I will see you in a few weeks. See ya. Pleasure right. talking to you. Right. There he is, Frankie from the darkness. What a bloke. I kind of want to have a beer with him or maybe a French wine when they touch down in just a couple of weeks' time. You can catch that video also on YouTube. Just search for The Rider with Becco. Now, next week on the podcast, a member of Shepherd who has gone solo, but not just gone solo, but gone solo and done country. 
That's next week on The Rider with Becco. We'll catch you then.